Hey everyone, I'm Phil. I lead the team at St. Paul's here in the heart of East London. Uh, and wasn't last week's light day incredible? It was great to spend the day together on the 31st of October celebrating light in the darkness. Yeah, that Jesus is love and light and no matter how dark it gets, the darkness cannot extinguish the light. And not only that, we all get to be involved. We are the light of the world. The light of Jesus in me and in you is what casts out darkness today. And today we're going to be digging into that idea a little bit more. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been taking some time to explore what it looks like for me and you to be a disciple of Jesus. And I'd encourage you to go back and remind yourself as we've been thinking about there being two eyes in disciple, intimacy and imitation. So let's jump back into Mark 3 and remind ourselves where we see both of these key ideas. So reading from verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 who he also named apostles that they might be with him. So intimacy, Jesus wants his first century disciples and his 21st century disciples to be intimate with him. So Jesus calls his disciples close so that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons, which is of course exactly what Jesus has been doing. Intimacy leads to imitation. We are called to come close, to be intimate with Jesus so that we might imitate him. And what does imitating Jesus practically look like? Well, well, Jesus' disciples are sent out to imitate Jesus by being preachers and exorcists. To speak up and to proclaim the good news about the love of Jesus and to take authority to confront and to cast out evil and darkness with the love and the light of Jesus. And today we are gonna focus on the second of those actions, the authority to cast out demons. So let's pray together. Hey Jesus, thank you for inviting us close. And as we become more intimate with you, may we become better imitators of you, better reflectors of your love and of your light. Because of you in us, may the darkness flee. Amen. You know, evil is a bit of a problem. And perhaps that is the biggest understatement that you will hear today. It is a challenge in lots of ways. Actually, even the the notion that evil exists at all is very problematic. So much so that a whole area of Christian theology uh, called theodicy has been devoted to try and work out and explore how a God who is all loving and all powerful could allow the presence of evil. If God is all loving, then surely he wouldn't want evil things to happen. And and if if he was all powerful, then surely he could do something about it. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow suffering? Why on earth does God allow a devil on earth? I mean, these are some of the most 
difficult questions that ultimately call us to come back to Jesus and to trust and to exercise faith. I used to have a lecturer at college who did his PhD on theodicy. He was affectionately known as Dr. Evil. (laughs) And uh, he could talk about this stuff for days. But, But even in that context, in college training for Christian ministry, I found that especially the idea of personified evil of of demons or the devil or wasn't spoken of much and certainly in the church in the UK it isn't language that we use very often it can leave us uncomfortable or, or with just so many unanswered questions and it's important to acknowledge up front that this is tough stuff to think about Part of the reason I think we find this topic a difficult thing to navigate today is to do with what pop culture teaches us about evil. By no means did it start here, but in the 70s in America, films like The Exorcist thrust a particular vision of demons into the popular imagination and, and spawned over the next 50 years a whole genre of media with depictions of devils and, and evil characters which have now seeped away from horror into everything, into, into everyday children's viewing. I mean, this stuff is just commonplace. Evil has flippantly been given a face, sometimes a a ghoulish, gory face, sometimes a spooky, comic face. And of course, that's never more evident than at Halloween as as kids dress up as devils and and have their pictures taken in front of displays of ghosts or zombies. So so when we read in the Bible about Jesus casting out demons or or that, that as Jesus' disciples, we are sent out to have authority to do that ourselves, Now, we're left with a host of unhelpful, distracting images uh, of a confusing good versus evil kind of battle as if we're called to be ghostbusters or or demon hunters in order to save the day. And either this just becomes entertainment and a joke that we can choose to dismiss or or we can swing the other way and, and... find ourselves with an unhealthy fascination with connections to a hidden spiritual realm, exploring things like tarot cards or Ouija boards or or other ways of engaging the occult. Now, acknowledging these problems of evil and, and, and putting aside our culturally loaded language of demons for one minute, confronting evil is what we see Jesus do and it is what we are called to do and it is what we are given authority to do by Jesus and now importantly we're given this authority not because we are experts in understanding evil not because we know evil but because we know Jesus I heard that when bank clerks learn to spot fake money, they don't train by spending hours studying counterfeits. No, instead they spend hours familiarising themselves with real money. 
Yeah, they get to know it upside down and back to front. They know in the feel of their fingers, they know how the materials work together, how to spot the hallmarks of the real thing. Yeah, the more they know a true note, the easier it is to spot and to deal with a counterfeit. And in the same way, our posture in this should always be away from evil and face towards Jesus, towards the goodness and the love of God. That is what we know, to be intimate with Jesus. And it's from that place of intimacy that we will see and discern evil, the things that run in opposition to the goodness of God. And, And then we can join in with Jesus, taking action and confronting these things. And for Jesus, that action looked like a lot of things. Yeah, in the Gospels, as Jesus moves around preaching good news, he confronts the evil of disease with healing, hunger with food, loneliness with compassion, interest, friendship. Unjust structures and authorities are confronted with Jesus's fierce love. Sin is confronted with forgiveness, even death confronted with life and sometimes in the midst of all of this we see Jesus naming a demon or a particular evil power as it is confronted and expelled. We spoke before about each of us being disciples who are sent to imitate Jesus by preaching good news, proclaiming simple words of freedom, release, restoration, to those around us in our schools and our offices, on our streets and in our homes. And and it is this, I believe, that is the beginning of exorcism. Not the Hollywood version, that this is true exorcism for beginners. That from a place of intimacy with Jesus, we begin to speak up and speak out about the love of Jesus and the hope that we have in him and we allow his light to shine through us and in doing so challenge and counter the darkness and demons will flee. Evil will be expelled. Now quite simply for all of our confusion and concern in this area the salvation Jesus brings and that you and I get to speak about always involves the defeat of Satan and his demons, the casting out of evil, of disease, of hunger, of loneliness, of injustice, of sin, and even death. All of these and more are defeated in Jesus. And ultimately, this isn't about us having to learn the magic words to recite or or, or have a crucifix to wave. It begins by you and I simply choosing to come close to Jesus, to be intimate with him so that we might then play our part imitating him and take our stand with words and actions to reflect his light into the darkness. Famously, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul says, be strong, in the Lord 
and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming hours of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. I mean, this incredible imagery echoes throughout Paul's writing in the New Testament in encouraging us to acknowledge evil, but to effectively respond by clothing ourselves with Christ. Recognizing the dark powers around us, Paul says, put on Jesus's armor of truth and of righteousness, of faith, of salvation. Be ready with the good news. Come close to Jesus. Spend time with him. Cover yourself with him. And of course, the weapon that we are given is the sword of the spirit. It's his word, the word of God. You know, evil is a problem. And the why and the what and the how can be confusing and upsetting. But in the midst of it, as we are intimate with Jesus, as we are clothed with Christ, we can feel secure and we can feel confident. You know, and our response is to confidently wield the word of God, to be ready with good news of peace. You know, what if you're conversations at work or, or at the pub were peppered with the words of God. Now, what would it look like to, to slip the words of scripture that, that you were reading one morning into an encouragement or, or into a challenge to a colleague later that day? It, could it be that as you intentionally spend time drawing close to Jesus, that he might be equipping you to challenge something or someone that runs counter to the goodness of God to help highlight an injustice or to meet a need and, and expel something dark. And perhaps as you prayer walk with others in your area, in your dock, you could speak out God's words of life and light. And as you do so, believe that Jesus will be powerfully at work in the darkness. Now, the truth is, you are the light of the world. Jesus in you is what lights up the darkness. So let's not be afraid, but let's receive the authority given to us to simply confront all that is anti-Christ with the word of Christ. Now Paul finishes this, this section of his letter to the Ephesians by challenging the church to pray. 
pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, Paul says, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Yeah, there are two eyes in disciple, intimacy and imitation, and both of these involve prayer. So may you forge rhythms of prayer and intimacy with Jesus always on all occasions to come really close to him. And may your prayers be answered powerfully as you imitate Jesus, preaching good news, proclaiming freedom, recovery and restoration. And in doing so, take your stand, confronting evil and the darkness in this world. And may the demons flee and may the light of Jesus abound. Amen.